Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Chit Heads podcast. My guest today is Jill Miller. Jill Miller is a fascia and movement expert that forges links between the worlds of yoga, massage, athletics, and pain management. Her programs, Yoga Tune-Up, and The Role Model are found at gyms, yoga studios, hospitals, athletic training facilities, and corporations worldwide. She is the former anatomy columnist for Yoga Journal and has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Shape, Women's Health, O, Today Show, and Oprah Winfrey Network. She is the author of The Role Model, a step-by-step guide to erase pain, improve mobility, and live better in your body, and a contributing author on self-myofascial release in fascia, function, and medical applications. She is the creator of dozens of instructional DVDs with movement luminaries Tom Myers, Katie Bowman, Kelly Starrett, and Jen Fraboni. Her newest book is Body by Breath, the science and practice of physical and emotional resilience, which is what we'll be talking a little bit about today. She lives in Los Angeles with her husband, two kids, and a rescue dog. So hi, Jill. Thank you so much for joining me. Hello. Welcome to myself in the world of chitheads. I've listened to your podcast many times, Jacob, so very excited to talk to you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you, and obviously uh, you are a great company to have, and your bio speaks for itself in terms of um, the the widespread um, impact that your work has had on the world. It's really exciting. And uh, we were talking just before we started pressing record or started the formal interview about your book, the new book that we're going to talk a little bit about today, Body by Breath, The Science and Practice of Physical and Emotional Resilience. And you were um, uh, inquiring into how much of the book I had read. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll be a little honest here and say that the book arrived in the UK right as I was moving out of my place in Oxford. And unfortunately, I couldn't bring the book back to New York with me. However, I did have a digital uh, release of the book that I have been able to peruse. Um, and it is an incredible book. It's a rich resource. And really, I have to say, you know, I could immediately when I opened it, I thought this is going to be on the reading list, the required reading list of yoga teacher trainings, of therapeutic training courses. It really is that substantial. And so for anyone uh, looking to enhance and expand uh, their perspectives on on breath work and the role of the breath and its relation to the nervous system uh, and various other things, this is definitely a book to get your hands on. Uh, so before we get into all of that, though, Jill, Tell me a little bit about your story. What led you to this work with the breath? Mm. My work with the breath started really young. My mother was a, is a severe asthmatic. And so I can recall being woken up to ambulance sirens um, with my mother being whisked off to hospital when I was very young. And so I learned very early that without breath, you die. And then mm-hmm. two of my grandmothers died from COPD-related um, issues, uh, which at the time was called emphysema. And um, I was also a vocalist at a young age. I loved singing. And I remember one of my vocal teachers talking to me about breathing and naming this muscle the diaphragm when I was in elementary school. 
so it had always stuck in my body and slash mind um, that there was this incredible muscle doing this work for us. Um, and then fast forward, I got into yoga studies at a really early age, right around um, 11 or 12 years old. And that's a longer story of how I, I got involved. But um, a kind of the short version is I was a very, um, I was a very overweight kid and I was very inactive. And when I started to um, uh, get into my body, it was actually through, oh gosh, the Raquel Welsh yoga video <laughs> at the time was called True Beauty. And, and some people may not know that the Raquel Welsh yoga video was the Bikram series. He later mm -hmm. sued her. Um, but at around age 11 or 12, I grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico, off the grid in the solar home. And so we didn't have um, TV. So my mom one day brought home the Jane Fonda workout and the Raquel Welsh yoga video, because if we wanted to watch TV, we had to watch videos. And she and I started to do these videos together. But I got lit by this fitness media, by this video media. And I would do these videos back to back. I ended up losing a lot of weight. Um, I ended up loving the yoga practices, um, but I also spiraled into eating disorders, which mm. is uh, a lot of the origin story of the therapeutic uh, work within Body by Breath. Mm. So then what actually inspired you to write the book? Like what were the circumstances sort of professionally that led to you deciding to write this, you know, just incredible compendium, this textbook? Um, as uh, a resource for for teachers and 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 breathwork professionals. Um, about twelve or thirteen years ago, I was involved in a project with a physical therapist named Kelly Starrett, who founded something called Mobility Wad. So he was a, a kind of a a movement fitness god, physical therapist in the CrossFit space. And a mm. mutual friend connected. <laughs> yeah, okay. So a mutual friend, Keith Wittenstein, uh, connected Kelly and I. K Keith was a CrossFit uh, trainer, but he was also a yogi. I was teaching a workshop in New York City. And he came up to me afterwards and he was like, How do you know what you know? You know, like you're doing exactly what Kelly Starr is doing. And I said, Who? Mobility wad. I said, what? I didn't know what wad was. I had no, I didn't know mm. anything about the CrossFit space. And he said, look, I've got to introduce the two of you because you're doing for the yoga space, what he's doing for the CrossFit space. You're teaching people how to treat themselves because I was in classes teaching people about self-myofascial release. I was using balls. Um, I was introducing people to them, to anatomy, to um, their joint mechanics. I mean, that the whole, my, my yoga path is a whole, that's a whole other story with the that we can talk about at another time. Um, but I was very much a disruptor in the yoga space. And so um, Keith introduced Kelly and I through the through the back channel of Facebook. And um, we ended up becoming fast friends. And he introduced me um, to his community, brought me into his community. And we did a, a webinar on a platform called Creative Live that was seen by so many people. But one of the people that saw me teaching about fascia and breath on his webinar was his publisher. Mm. His publisher, um, so Kelly is a multi New York Times bestselling author. A book, Becoming a Supple Leopard, was his, what he was actually in the process of writing at the time. But his publisher wrote me an email the night he saw 
me teach. And he said, hey, we're this publisher, Victory Bell. We'd love to publish your book. And I wrote back, I don't have a book. And he wrote back, write one and we'll publish it for you, which doesn't happen. Amazing. You know. Right. Yeah. Um, just unbelievable opportunity. And so they yeah. handed me the golden egg and I sat with it. And my first instinct was I wanted to write this book. I wanted to write yeah. my approach about breath, about mm -hmm. the fascial relationships, about you know the nervous system, about the core, to put it yeah. more, you know, colloquially. Mm -hmm. And, but I also knew that this work, breath work was not trending anywhere, but in the yoga space, that was kind yeah. of our thing, right? We teach breath, breath mechanics. We do special um, interest in breath exercise, but it really, a dozen years ago, this was not even a blip in the greater fitness movement or self-care space. Mm -hmm. um, I was introducing it on this webinar. And so, um, I had to really sit with that. And I knew that this was my special contribution to the world. Um, but I also knew that I had this other special interest in self-myofascial release in new fascia science and that I probably should introduce this application, which I called ended up calling the role model um, to the world first. And then that would, if that went well, maybe I would have an opportunity to write what I really wanted to write. Mm. So that's what happened. As soon as I turned in the role model, which has been a bestseller and translated into multiple languages, um, they asked me, what's your next book? And it took me eight years to write this one. But it's always much better if you take some time rather than trying to pump it out in three months. So thank you for doing that. <laughs> so I'm okay. interested in you describing the way you describe yourself as a disruptor in the yoga space. Now, mm -hmm. what, what do you mean by that? Did you encounter resistance toward your approach to the breath in the yoga community? And can you talk a little bit about why you think that was? Oh, wow. Well, it's interesting to have this conversation with you because you hold so um, many, I would say, novel and um, important spaces of yoga together in your platform. Um, that didn't exist when I was, you know, broadening my Emerging. <laughs> education or teaching. So I really want to just say, I really appreciate what you put together and what you're doing. Thank you. Um, so what I was, what, when I walked into the yoga space, and by the way, I started studying yoga around, like I said, age 11, 12, and was completely hooked. Um, I ended up mentoring with a uh, he'd be happy for me to call him a rogue, a rogue yoga teacher named Glenn Black, um, who was actually featured in Bill Broad's book, The Science of Yoga, many years ago. Um, and Glenn was, Glenn brought movement mechanics and massage into the classroom. Um, he was an orthopedic manual massage therapist and his lineage was Iyengar, uh, Kofi, was, Kofi Busia was his teacher, but Glenn really didn't care as much about asana as he cared about people being able to perceive the, their own participation in the practice. And so we would always be breaking down joint mechanics. We would always be doing novel movements, very playful movements. Um, and then we would have epic epic and epochs of yoga nidra at the end of mm, our classes. Um, but 
Yeah, but during classes, when Glenn would see that we weren't getting it, we weren't understanding the performance of a pose because of his massage background, he would um, teach us massage that would stimulate the soft tissues that were a part of the practice or were a part of the execution of a pose. And then he taught us how to massage one another. So basically every class was a massage clinic and an asana clinic. Um, and I just loved it. Uh, I ended up studying many different forms of massage um, because of him. I had studied a little bit of massage before I met him at age 18. I was uh, studying uh, shiatsu massage prior to meeting him. So I had a little bit of a primer in hands-on work. Um, but what I wanted to do when I started teaching yoga, uh, or excuse me, when I started to teach yoga as a profession, and I got involved in the LA yoga scene in the early 1990s, and it was all flow yoga, it was all power yoga. Mm -hmm. um, but when I started to teach, I saw that my students were um, bypassing um, stability, they were bypassing um, opportunities to enrich their musculoskeletal system. And I wanted to bring in these little tune-ups that I thought would be beneficial to them. And so I brought balls into the classroom because I wasn't, I couldn't have strangers massaging each other. I mean, when I worked with Glenn, we were at the Omega Institute. I was living, you know, in the, in the retreat center and it was young, you know, young, it was a different time. It was a very different time in the world. Um, and so I brought in these rubber balls or inflatable squish balls or mm -hmm. towels. And I would have my students map their bodies using these massage tools. And then we would practice. And then if I still saw that maybe people were not quite getting it, we would do these little tune-ups. Uh, we would roll, we would tune up, we would do asana. And um, not everybody liked that. The management didn't like that at one studio that I was teaching at. And um, I remember, it's a really long story, Jacob, but I, I do remember getting phone calls that said, you know, you can't do that. And I wanted to do that. I thought I was mm -hmm. really helping my students. And I ended up leaving the studio and renting a martial arts studio in Santa Monica. And some of those students followed me and word of mouth spread. Other students found their way to me. Uh, this was before social media. So it really was word of mouth. And many days I was paying those students to be there. Many days I, I wasn't able to, their tuition didn't cover the rent. And so I just was really possessed by this mode of working through the body mm -hmm. by mapping the body. And um, that's the story of how Yoga Tune Up formed. Mm. That's beautiful. And uh, I can kind of relate to this feeling like you had the kind of courage to just go forward with innovatively doing something different in the in the yoga classroom. And I always struggled, you know, when I was a full time yoga teacher with how to incorporate philosophy into the class that wasn't just like the Dharma talk style where someone's preaching at you in front of class. And and, you know, and I consistently came up upon this sense that there is this, you know, format that people have come to expect. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because people say, well, this is yoga and I want this because that's the traditional way. When, of course, we know <laughs> it's historically not that old. So this resistance to to incorporating other techniques or uh, other approaches is something that even if someone isn't 
necessarily directly asking you not to like you had like you have experienced there's still this kind of implicit policing of of what the possibilities of the yoga classroom are and so it's very cool to me that you that you just went and did it and i i've i've been in classes i don't i'm sure it must have been directly inspired by your work um, but a studio here in new york called kula yoga used mm -hmm. to have a class that they ended up discontinuing um sadly but it was called release the beast and it was 60 minutes of asana and then 15 minutes of of ball work rolling around on balls and i loved it it was mm -hmm. the best because one of my favorite things is to be massaged <laughs> so i was all about it and ball and ball work is really amazing and especially getting into that space between you know on the inside of your scapula so good uh, so i'm i want to ask you about fascia because do you pronounce it fascia or fascia 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 okay yes fascia that's just my you know living in the I UK was, currently. Yeah, I was corrected. <laughs> I was corrected by um, some of the fascia researchers because um, I used to call it fascia also. And um, that I was I was fine to call it fascia, but I think you'll hear people say fascia or fascia. We know what you're talking right. about. You say tomato, I say tomato, yeah. Tomato. <laughs> yes. uh, so uh, so I, I remember when I, I took this anatomy class in New York with Zach Dasik, which is where I was first introduced to the work of Tom Myers through yes. through this this anatomy, functional anatomy class, and it completely blew my mind. The um, just the wisdom about that is kind of embedded in 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 seeing and acknowledging fascia. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to uh, go back to that because I talked about that years ago on a podcast with Zach. But I would love to talk about how and why we, for so long, didn't acknowledge fascia at all and what it means to finally see it as a significant aspect that we should be paying attention to and that we should you know be developing practices around yes fascia is i i like to reduce it to fascia is your seam system fascia yeah. is the fibrous and fluid connecting tissue that suspends surrounds interpenetrates and makes you whole from cell to skin, top to bottom, inside out, in between, and everything. It gives you its form and its shape. And the fascia research community, you know, I, gosh, I'm involved in the fascia research community in a, in a pretty uh, narrow bucket. I'm involved in self-myofascial release research and application. Um, as you mentioned in my biography, I contributed a chapter to a book, Fascia Function and Medical Applications, specifically on self-myofascial release. So that's really the lens that I look at. But one of the things that Tom Myers talks about and I think it was A.T. still before him, um, the father of osteopathy, you know, when you start studying fascia, you must invest in all the branches of medicine. You, you really can't look at fascia as just this stringy cobweb uh, duct tape-like system that helps the muscles to connect from one to the next to the next. What you start to also see is that fascia is also this estuary of different cell types even cells they're still discovering uh, recently, I think it was 2015, Carlos Stecco discovered the fascia site. The fascia site is the cell that produces hyaluronan. What is hyaluronan? Well, if, if you're a supplement person, you're probably taking hyaluronic acid, but hyaluronan is the grease that makes you slick on the inside. So we have so many important um, living properties within our fascial tissues. Um, and these, these things I, like 
because histological studies weren't being done on fascia because it wasn't as interesting. It looked like it was the right. packing material of the body. Yeah, um, yeah. In the, you know, in the last, you know, 30, uh, 30 to 35 years, fascia research has just skyrocketed um, and more and more is becoming known. And one of the coolest knowns, I think that's relevant to yogis and to athletes and practitioners and clinicians is that your fascial tissues are also very nerve rich. Um, in mm. fact, there, there was a, a recalculation of the, the sensory nerve ending load within fascial tissues. And formerly it was thought that there were maybe 150 million nerve endings, but they've recalculated fascia has 250 million sensory nerve endings, um, both sympathetic and parasympathetic nerve endings. And what that allows the fascia community to say is we're dealing with the most sense rich organ in the body. I mean, your skin has about 200 million sensory nerve endings and your eyes about 150 million. So this is one of our language, our, our, our body parts of feel. And one of the themes in body by breath is my body thinks in feels. Um, and so I think that when we can acknowledge this additional layer, we don't just sort of blast through it or try to um, destroy it or harm it or uh, you know sever it, uh, but we want to work with it respectively, just like we, excuse me, respectfully, just like we work mm -hmm. with the rest of our body respectfully. Yeah. So I think it's like the it's like the the inclusion tissue in the body. It's been excluded, but it's the thing that, that connects everything. So we need to really pay attention to um, all of its properties. Mm. And then coming to the breath now then, how does fascia relate to the breath or what is the capacity for the breath to have an effect on fascia and vice versa? Um, well, we'd have to we'd have to kind of categorize that and look at the different properties of fascia. So, if we look at uh, fascia as a as a tensional network, which is an, it's important for us to see this. Uh, what Aline Langevin, she works for the NIH. She's in charge of the um, NIH complementary medicine arm that is actually looking at fascia, uh, myofascia, and pain and the opioid crisis. She's actually has a, I know, right. She has a proposal that she mentioned at the last fascia Congress that maybe we should be calling this the mechanoconnective system so that we can uh, kind of elevate fascia into a term just as important as musculoskeletal or endocrine, but the mechanoconnective right. system. So if we look at the behavior of the muscles of respiration, they are all, I mean, there's nothing that's not there's nothing that's not invested with fascia, but if we tend to have a difficulty taking a complete breath, now you can define complete breath from whatever tribe of yoga you're in. In my tribe, the abdominal thoracic breath is what I call a complete breath, where you have movements of the gut area and then you have full movements of the rib cage area. So an abdominal thoracic breath is a very balancing breath. Um, but if we have um, a certain tension pattern in our body where we're always using our shoulders, neck, and jaw to breathe, we have to do something with the abundant tension in the fascial and the myo tissues and the musculature and the fascial tissues in our jaw, neck, and shoulders to help us to soften, to yield in these tissues. And then we also have to figure out how to stimulate the soft tissues of the rib cage um, and the abdomen 
so that our diaphragm has the permission to descend and ascend so that our gut can flare so that our ribs can upwardly rotate. And this is predicated on um, the neural interactions, but also the fascial elasticity. So if we live in our body like a cage, we're not going to really have a lot of good elasticity or excursion. And the fascial tissues are what permit that. And so uh, we can do things to adjust those tensions. Um, and I do that using, uh, using the tools in Body by Breath. We use, we use breath as an underlying tool, but we also use rolling. We also use position um, to make those things happen. Mm. So the breath seems on you know the surface as the most present tool available to you know harness our own emotional health, <laughs> um, but also the most ignored, it seems, uh, at least until relatively recently, of course, through your work and the work of others, the breath is being more highlighted as a significant, you know, tool and, mm. and sign of, of health. So, um, you know, it's almost like, how could it be this simple? So why do you think that, that we've underappreciated the power of the breath for so long in our, in our culture? Oh, I have no idea because other cultures have appreciated it for <laughs> epics. Yeah. So I, I don't know why, um, but here we are and we're getting mm -hmm. to learn as beginners. And so I can celebrate that. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't write Absolutely. the rules on, on suppression of, uh, of bodily function earlier. I just know that I celebrate the fact that we can uh, get in there today and and relearn or, or learn what it is to be human in a, in an totally mm -hmm. totally I yeah I just I have this you know these sorts of um, curiosities around sort of the intellectual history of why we why we evade why we avoid and and why they never become part of our sort of cultural lexicon and of course there are exceptions in mm -hmm. in some parts of Western culture but largely right it's and in the same as the, the same as fascia or fascia fascia being ignored as this sort of <laughs> you know like the stuff in between just cut through all that crap to get to the real stuff in the you know in the same way we've you know uh, we haven't had the concepts essentially to see the the wisdom that's there and that's that's always such an interesting kind of story and and narrative so i wanted to read something um from your book that i thought was really beautiful and and then ask you a question on it so um, uh, early on in your book, there's a quote, breathing is the number one go-to tool to increase your relaxation, health, embodiment, power, and empowerment. I purposefully included relaxation at the beginning of that list of benefits because it is the gateway to healing. Your body comes wired with an exquisite relaxation response, the opposite of the stress response. It's only when your relaxation response is upregulated and your stress response is downregulated that your body can balance and repair itself. Your breath is your built-in reset button. I love that. It's both easily accessible and quite effective. Uh, and unlike anti-anxiety meds, recreational drugs, alcohol, and comfort food, it doesn't come with a laundry list of harmful side effects. So I just wanted to touch on this idea of the positive benefits of the breath and particularly as it relates to the nervous system, you know, you had mentioned the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So uh, for those of us who might feel stressed out or who are in this state of like feeling dependent on anti-anxiety meds, can you talk a little bit about how the breath 
can be, you know, maybe not cold turkey from those anti-anxiety meds, but can be adopted and slowly integrated into a practice of reducing stress and, and, and promoting relaxation. Absolutely. Um, as a, as the daughter of a doctor, I've had a lot of prescriptions over the course of my lifetime. And so I, I just want to acknowledge that this is not a book to overthrow big pharma. Um, but this is, <laughs> this is, this is a, um, a book that wants to acknowledge, uh, a complementary uh, approach. Um, uh, but many people can also uh, find themselves weaning off of uh, many different medications when they train their diaphragm appropriately. Um, there's mm -hmm. so many, there's so many benefits. Um, they're listed in the book. Um, uh, okay. So I, I think most people that turn to breath work aren't turning to breath work to amp themselves up. They're already plenty amped. And I, I do want to acknowledge that breath work can be a, a beneficial amplifier for people who um, are in chronic depressed states or who are down at the dumps um, or who um, need to get motivated or pumped up or psyched for something. Um, but the majority of this book focuses on novel relaxation um, techniques that hopefully can help somebody dance with anxiety states um, and not be a turnoff. Because I know for, for many people um, who've been told, well, you just need to breathe or just relax, like that's just really not helpful, especially when they haven't been coached um, into a, a breathing pace that works for their body or a, a breath scenario or breath strategy that feels doable or approachable for them. Um, but, you know, breathing, bre bre breathing comes from the brain stem. Your, your brain is monitoring at all times how much carbon dioxide has built up in your system, um, and how much, uh, that's what triggers your next inhale, which resaturates oxygen into your bloodstream and helps to offload carbon dioxide. So we are uh, a body that craves homeostasis. Um, but for those of us living in a stress load where our, our overall stress load, our allostatic load has adjusted so that we feel like we're running down a freeway every day instead of while we're at our computers, um, we have to figure out ways to be able to adjust that stress switch, what I call turning on your off switch. When you change your breath pattern, so I mentioned before that your, your breathing is initiated by the brainstem, this little area founded by Jack Feldman called the pre-Botzinger complex is initiating these bursts that end up telling a nerve called the phrenic nerve that it should send uh, uh, it should send a wave of energy down to the muscle of the diaphragm, which causes you to inhale. But when that occurs, these brain waves are also traveling into your brain. Um, we have a respiratory rhythm that is oscillating throughout our brain and echoing into all parts of the brain at all times, right? People have heard about alpha waves or delta waves or theta waves. Well, we also have these respiratory wa waves mm -hmm. that are echoing into our brain all the time. And when you adjust how you are breathing, you alter those brainwave patterns and it can create a tremendous shift in whole body relaxation. It can adjust the resting tone of your muscles. It can also start to um, send you into a much more relaxed state of mind. Your thinking might change. 
um, it, it can approximate some of the same experiences or some embodied experiences that people have in meditation. But this would be a breath-induced way of altering state. And it's really, really effective. In fact, I, Jack Feldman is somebody I quote in the book a number of times. He's such a pioneer in um, peering into the what happens with the brain and the nervous system uh, as it relates to breathing. Um, but over time, if you do a breath practice and it doesn't, it doesn't have to be the same breathing practice every time, just changing your rate of breathing and especially engaging in some type of slow breathing um, can have profound effects on the overall network, how your brain is working within itself. And that yeah. over time can really change your relationship to anxiety, depression, or the present moment. And I think that's why it is such a powerful tool. Because I mean, I'm going to tell you all about how, you know, the mechanics of breathing and the balls and this and that, but you don't need all that stuff. You can lean against a couch to create pressure on your rib cage to get feedback. You don't need to lean against one of my tools, right, um, to get that feedback. So we, we can use what we have, including our built-in biology, to create shifts in our autonomic tone. In other words, to turn on our off switch um, so that we can power down some of the overwhelm that our body experiences. And when that starts to happen, often um, we can experience the emotions within us that maybe we have been um, avoiding or running from. Because sometimes when we start to slow down, we actually start to have deep feels, deep feelings that need to be expressed. And those um, emotions are things that uh, can really drive us to make, you know, poor decisions because we're not really thinking. <laughs> we're just running. We're just in this sort of avoidant state. Mm. So, uh, what I found interesting, one part of your book and one of the things you reflected on was stillness and and meditation, and you know, as a platform that hosts a lot of spiritual traditions, sometimes you know, there's a, there's sort of a spectrum on the flexibility around certain practices like some traditions are very much like meditation is the way it's the only way and mm -hmm. if you you know if you can't do it then there's some reason for that and 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 you obviously don't think that way and you talk about in the book how meditation might not be the right place to start for some people for xyz reasons so I'm, i was wondering if you could speak a little bit to that to that oh i this is my favorite question I came across a term just over 20 years ago, ago called anxiety-induced relaxation. No, excuse me, relaxation-induced anxiety. <laughs> it kind of works best on both ends, I think. Okay, so yeah. it's relaxation-induced anxiety. And what happens in these bodies? And by the way, I came across this in David Coulter's book uh, from the Himalayan Institute. He wrote a book called The Anatomy of Hatha Yoga. And I, it just stuck in my head that some people can't do Shavasana. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, really? But yeah. it somehow just stuck in there that there's some people that are unable to feel safe in stillness. Fast mm -hmm. forward to, you know, I don't know, nine years later, eight years later, I have somebody on the table. I'm doing some massage on a very close friend. And during the massage, they start to have what I would call a freak out there. They start to like shake their arms like a Spider-Man, like they're trying to eject webs from their median nerve. And mm. what had happened to this 
uh, friend is as they started to plunge into their relaxation response, their sympathetic nervous system did not feel safe and started to run amok. Now, this is what happens in people with relaxation-induced anxiety. They might try to sit still um, or lay still, and their body involuntarily decides to do what it's going to do. Now, everybody has the monkey mind. So this monkey mind can be a, a part of this, but this is the onset of, of involuntary um, movement, pain, um, mm. uncontrollable emotion, like emotion out of nowhere that you feel uh, uh, the overwhelm that ends up moving your body. You can't remain still. Now, knowing, uh, having studied polyvagal theory, being introduced to the, the, the work of Dr. Stephen Porges by our good friend, Dr. Chris Walling, I was able to understand now where it, theoretically, where this sympathetic nervous system, where this flight starts to come in, um, into the nervous system. So what do you do? And by the way, there is some scant research on relaxation induced anxiety. Uh, but mm. one of the interesting papers I came across said that up to 53% of people have may have this relaxation induced anxiety. And maybe as an entrepreneur in the meditation space, you might be nodding because a lot of people are meditation averse. It's just uncomfortable and they don't know why. And so they just avoid it. Right. Yeah. So, and, and, but they're also, I've now seen many people when they start to do a breathing practice, they get the same arousal. So what can mm -hmm. we do? How can we help these bodies? And by the way, I tend to attract a lot of those bodies for some reason. Uh, maybe it's because I'm very curious about this phenomenon. Um, so what I have found is slow, dynamic movement um, or pressure-based movement that is you know, using tools like balls can create just enough of a distraction that it can work with the bodies need to move, but it can give a parasympathetic input during these movements. And then eventually these bodies start to attenuate and acclimate and find uh, a more and more ease at longer duration of stillness. The goal isn't to have them be still. Like, let me just say like the goal, there is no goal here. The goal here is pro the process that you engage in and you step into the process wherever you're at. And I think that's really important. There is no finish line in body by breath. This is a lifelong exploration. But if you find yourself um, that you have difficulty with relaxation or stillness, or even with breath practice, there are novel ways of stimulating your body and brain so that you, we can find comfort in relaxation in many, many different playful ways that, um, that end up providing a very satisfying relaxation response. And we need that parasympathetic dominant state for healing, recovery, and growth. Mm. Mm. Well, you seem like a very grounded and sensible and nuanced person. Uh, and it's always so good to have someone like that in this space. <laughs> so, and I'm saying that because I want to segue into something that, I mean, may or may not give you an opportunity to talk some shit, but um, so, there is um there's obviously a lot of interest in breathwork right now mm -hmm. and there are some breathwork traditions and i haven't practiced this myself i really don't know but i know that it's very in, it's a very intense practice this holotropic breathwork i think is what it's called um and and then also some forms of of kundalini pranayama 
um, that induce states of in, intense experience, for lack of a better term. You'd probably have a more kind of, you know, sort of medical term for that. And now I am, I'm, you know, very open, just given my, my thoughts on these things to this idea that there are heightened states of consciousness and there are different modes of perception that we can cultivate through these practices. Um, and so I don't have a purely secular view about, about these things, but there then is also this confusion that seems to be happening between those who are seeking these higher states um, and mistaking that, mistaking something that's actually sort of verging on a form of psychosis with um, with a higher state of consciousness. So for example, I, I know someone personally who ended up, um, who ended up doing some really intense breath work uh, and then ended up kind of at a mental hospital because they believed that they had seen through duality so much so that they didn't need to worry about walking into a crowded street, you know, with cars coming in all directions. <laughs> because if everything is non-dual, then the cars aren't really there. You know, that sort of that sort of thing. So I'm curious about the limits of of the breath and and what you've seen as someone who is taking a very grounded approach to this. Um, what you see as, as some excesses in this space? Well, I think those people that are um, motivated by the magic um, mm -hmm. it, as a hook um, or mystical experience as a hook will be drawn towards those leaders who make that those claims and those promises. And yeah. I agree, I have definitely seen um, excess in practice. I'm really sorry about your friend. Um, that sounds incredibly traumatic and um, what a way to come back down to earth. She's um, better but, now, thankfully. Uh, yeah. yeah, I just have the chills um, thinking about that. And ultimately, I think it really, I mean, facilitation is, is key and the word titration is used a lot, um, but really um, the dose makes the poison. And mm -hmm. we can mm -hmm. overdose on breath practice, just like we can overdose on rolling, just like we can overdose on too much meditation and too much yoga. We don't really mm -hmm. know until we cross that line, but hopefully you um, are in a community where there is an experienced facilitator that knows what to look for and has guardrails set out for you. And mm -hmm. um, you know, in the trainings that I offer, we go over what some of those um, markers might be, but the yoga space and the breath space, even more so, very unregulated. So um, we have to, I guess, just really trust. Well, I'm gonna say trust our gut, but no, if your gut's saying, "I want the, I want the magic, I want to trip out on my breathing," you can. Like it's amazing to to do that. But again, hopefully, you have there's guardrails around you. There are people that are um, providing you with um, off ramps as well as support. If, um, if you start to have experiences that make you feel really out of control um, mm -hmm. and beyond, your, beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. So it is mm -hmm. that fine line. Yeah, that was a really great answer, Jill. So now that everybody is totally in love with you having listened to this conversation, and um, I am going to, to mention that you will have the great pleasure and privilege of having an opportunity to study with Jill in two actually opportunities. One is a free masterclass on called Voyage to Vegas, 
where you'll be talking about the five P's of the parasympathetic nervous system. That's Is that correct? Yeah, this is a really helpful menu. If you if you're one of those, like I described, a decide this relaxation induced anxiety. If you're one of those people that tends to um, get relaxation induced anxiety, or you're just a person who likes to relax or help other people to relax, this five P's menu is like a an in, inner medicine chest compound pharmacy of how to induce the relaxation response. So yeah, we'll be going over that in the webinar. I'm really excited to share it. Yes, and it's happening, I believe, on the 25th, 6th? 6th. Yes. Yeah, the so be there, be square. And then also you're teaching for our embodied yoga therapy program. And so I wanted to hear a little bit about how, what, what you're teaching for embodied yoga therapy so that we could share with our audience and, and sort of how you through, you know, through your um, kind of emphasis on the breath, how you approach uh, yoga therapy. Yeah. So in the, in, in that course, I'm offering two uh, separate courses within my anatomy and physiology right and one of those offerings is breath anatomy amplified uh and the other is called fascia familiar emerging fascial science science and embodiment so i'm glad the questions that you asked today actually were perfect lead-ins so we'll start with the fascia familiar emerging fascial science and embodiment and i'll be able to share some really cool uh, latest updates from the fascia research community. And then we'll do a two hour breath anatomy amplified where I can go over more details about these muscles of respiration and um, things to look out for in your clients and ways to help them improve the excursion of all the muscles involved with respiration. Um, yeah, so that's what we'll be doing in those two. Sounds like a lot of fun. So uh, this has been a delightful conversation, Jill. It's so nice to to meet you finally and to to chat with you a little bit about your work. Is there anything um, besides the upcoming programs through Embodied Philosophy that you'd like to share with our audience? Obviously, I think people could probably find your book on Amazon, I imagine. Yes? Yes. The Body by Breath book and the Role Model, those are both available on Amazon. And my company is called Tune Up Fitness. Uh, so you can find me at tuneupfitness.com. We have about 500 teachers worldwide that um, teach nice. my work, teach this work, Yoga Tune Up, uh, the Role Model Methods. You can find them there. Um, but I also offer coursework myself. There's also, I have an online classroom as well. So if you're curious about Yoga Tune Up or the Role Model Method um, or working with me every week, just head over to the website. And then I am very active on social media. And my social media handle is the Jill Miller, because there are many Jill Millers out there, but there's only one, the Jill Miller. No, but you it. are the Jill Miller. The. <laughs> <laughs> and just uh, just to make uh, to clarify, that uh, website is tuneupfitness.com, right? Yes, like you tune up a car, tune up fitness. Tuneupfitness.com. All right, that's fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jill, for spending a bit of your day with me. And I look forward to seeing you at the webinar uh, in a little less than a week, I guess. Yeah, oh yeah, I know, I'm looking at the date. We're at, wow, or it's just, gonna uh, be just over a week or just about a week, I suppose. And I guess I will say, because of when this is coming out, there is an opportunity to study with me in Park City, Utah and Salt Lake City, the weekend of September 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, I'll be teaching a Body by Breath Masterclass in Park City on the 22nd and the 23rd and 24th, the role model. And then October 7th, I'll be in Chicago for a Body by Breath Masterclass. Um, all those all those are almost sold out. So if you're hearing this, like jump, act fast, go, go, go. Jump on it, Utah and Chicago. All right. 
Well, Jill, it's been absolutely fabulous. Talk to you soon. Yes, wonderful.